Turn your Bibles, if you would, please, to the first book of Samuel, as Glenn had read through the, from chapter 1 until 18. We're going to be really dialing in this morning on verses 12 through 18 as we continue our uh, journey through the first book of Samuel. Gonna, we're going to go over these next six verses here, starting in verse 12. First book of Samuel, 1.12. And it happened, as she continued praying before the Lord, that Eli watched her mouth. Now Hannah, Hannah spoke in her heart, only her lips moved, but her voice was not heard. Therefore Eli thought she was drunk. So Eli said to her, how long will you be drunk? Put away your wine away from you. But Hannah answered and said, No, my Lord, I am a woman of sorrowful spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor intoxicating drink, but have poured out my soul before the Lord. Do not consider your maidservant a wicked woman. For out of the abundance of my complaint and grief, I have spoken until now. Then Eli answered and said, Go in peace, and the God of Israel grant you petition, which you have asked of him. And she said, Let your maidservant find favor in your sight. So the woman went, went her way and ate, and her face was no longer sad. Let's go ahead and pray. Father, we come to the throne of grace this morning through the precious, divine, righteous, perfect blood of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Lord, the Bible says that we can come with confidence and boldness, that we don't have to cower and be fearful. But because of what Christ has accomplished for us, we can come with humble adoration, celebrating the glorious death and resurrection of our Savior. Lord, I pray today that the Spirit of God would be present in the house of God today and in the hearts of your people, that you would open the hearts of your people, that they could hear the Word of God, that you would give us ears to hear and eyes to see our glorious Savior. Lord, I pray that you give me the ability to proclaim your Word today. Lord, that you'd enable me by the, by the power of God to be able to proclaim your word. Lord, turn this house of the Lord into a house of worship. In Jesus' name, amen. I've titled this message this morning, Victory in Persistent Prayer. Victory in Persistent Prayer. Let's face it, the primary characteristic of Hannah's life and story is her indomitable faith, her pressing fortitude, and her continued prayer in the worst of times. I have outlined her prayer life in three points this morning. If you're following along, that first point is continued prayer. Hannah had continual, persistent prayer. Number two, she had submissive prayer. She was submissive. And number three, she had believing prayer. Believing prayer. Starting at point one with speaking on Hannah's continued prayer, 1 Samuel 1.12 says, And it happened as she continued praying before the Lord that Eli watched her mouth. The, commentary, the commentator John Guild says, 
being very earnest and persistent with him to grant her request and therefore repeated her petition and prolonged her prayer, being unwilling to let the Lord go until she had a promise or some satisfaction that she would have the things she liked, something she continued in an hour of prayer. Paul says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 17, he says, Rejoice at all times. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in every circumstance, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. The reality is that Hannah was a woman who understood how to continue in prayer. Her life was characterized by fortitude. As you read, as we've been reading over the last two Sundays, how she was under considerable abuse and persecution from Penina, also being a woman who was barren, is seen uh, in front of the people of God as being cursed. A woman in that day who couldn't give birth to children was looked at as one who couldn't give birth to the promise. And all women desired greatly of anything else is to be able to bear a man-child, a, a, a boy or a son, and give him unto the Lord. And we see Hannah's persistence under this type of abuse. And what it would have been like year after year, continually, even in Hannah's life of being around Penina over the 10 years that she was married to Elkanah, and just the, the, her lifestyle, um, and the type of person that she was, and her humility, and her ability to be able to continue in prayer. And we see that you know she had no fancy theology. But she had prayer. She knew how to meet with her God. She knew her God. In a time where, at this particular time in history of Israel's history, the temple was a disgrace. They treated it like a disgrace. The idea of worship had really gone into the gutter. But Hannah hadn't lost it, even though everybody else had pretty much lost it. Hannah hadn't lost it. And probably to the high priest, she probably looked like an anomaly. She probably looked strange, unique, a novelty. Here's this lady pouring out her heart to the Lord, crying out to God, being able to be sustained through her prayer life with, with, with her God in the midst of all of the persistent persecution and abuse and adversity. You can only imagine but I'll tell you something. You see what had happened with her life from the beginning and to the end. And you can see that she knew God and she knew how to pray. Because this was a real life situation. She had nothing else. She clung to her God and God had most certainly blessed her. Hannah certainly wasn't intimidated. Leonard Ravenhill once said, a man who is intimate with God will never be intimidated by men. She certainly wasn't intimidated by men, as you can see in the reading of her story. She certainly wasn't intimidated by Penina, even though it says that she was harassed to the point where she trembled. Obviously, harassment from other people has an effect on us, but it didn't intimidate her because she knew her God. And this is the way she conducted her life. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't that it was bad enough that she was being a reproach for being barren in front of her people, 
and now persecuted and harassed and abused by Penina, then to top it off, she is receiving the reproach from the high priest, falsely accusing her of being drunk, when in reality she was pouring out her spirit unto the Lord. But Hannah just keeps on praying right through the storm, through the rejection, no hesitation, just persistence, fortitude, fervency that burns its way right through hell and right to the throne room of God. And I think it's a beautiful picture of what we as Christians should be like in the face of turmoil, in the face of adversity, in the face of trouble, that we need to understand what it means to cling to God. And I don't know each of you as far as to all the pain and suffering that you've been that you've went through in your own lives, but I'm sure you could testify that at times in your own life, when you've went through the most darkest periods and darkest moments, you will find during those times that it's probably when you clung to God the most. I know for me personally that in my darkest hour, it seems that, you know, it's at those moments that Christ becomes more real than ever. It was said of Richard Wormbrand, I believe spent 17 years in an underground prison in Romania, if I'm not mistaken. During his torturous years, he said, Christ was never so present as he was in those times. And the stones on the walls became like gems and emeralds during those times of adversity. It really is in our darkest hours that there's beauty in that. And we can't always see the beauty because we're the ones in pain. We're the ones in adversity. But there's a beauty that we have in those moments. There's a relationship with God and with Christ that we normally don't get any other way. The Lord doesn't give us that portion of who he is unless we're in those moments of sometimes great grief, great darkness, and great adversity. And Hannah certainly knew her God and trusted her God through the darkest, darkest times. I like what the psalmist says in Psalms 119, verse 67. He says, before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I have kept thy word. I mean, God was afflicting Hannah by no means. But the Bible says that a hope deferred, right? Makes the heart great pain. It's sickness. It's waiting. But when it comes, it's a tree of life. It's almost in that waiting, in that sickness, in that deferred moment of our lives when we're in that greatest stretch of pain. We're agonizing. Almost to the point where we become hopeless. And then the promise comes. The desire comes. And it's like a tree of life. And a lot of times we can only enjoy that at that level is because of the level of pain that we've went through. E.M. Bounds says, I think Christians fail so often to get answers to their prayers because they do not wait long enough on God. I think we live in such a culture and such a day where everything is all about our convenience. We don't like to wait for anything. We're everything and we want it now. And we literally live in an age that actually does that for us. The whole idea of waiting is contrary to the American mindset. Isn't that true? But when is the last time you waited on God? When's the last time you were put in that moment in your life where it demanded that you waited on God and you didn't default off into the world or in some other way to some other sedative 
or some other thing to, to bring something into your life, some sort of peace that only God can give us. When is the last time you waited on God? Are you waiting on God now to answer you in a certain arena of life, in an area of your life? We must learn to wait on God, to be patient, as Hannah was. See, I think it is when, when, when you know God, and you know Him, and you've been in His Word, you've been in prayer, you've sought God, you know God, you speak with God, you communicate with your God, I think there's a place there where you're willing to wait. You're willing to hold on. You know, if we're just, if we're just lip service and just, we have this false a form of Christianity that has no substance. We don't wait because it's just another religion, just another facade we put on. We're just faking it. But when we know God, we're willing to wait because we love him and we know he's God and he will come through. Scripture confirms the importance of persistence in Ephesians <clears throat> chapter 6, verse 18 says, pray in the spirit at all times and on every occasion. Stay alert and be persistent in your prayers for all believers everywhere. Praying shouldn't be just about us and what we can get, right? We shouldn't take our American mindset of convenience and bring it into the prayer closet and just look at God like he's a sugar daddy, just waiting to bestow a bunch of blessings upon his spoiled children. But prayer should touch the heart of the saint in such a way that he prays for others. That his heart is broken for others. Prays for others. Seeks the betterment of other people. People, Other people need your prayers. They need you to pray for them. You know, And, and as Christians, we should love one another. And, and it should pain us to think that there are people perishing and splitting hell wide open. There's 150,000 people die every 24 hours. 86 people go into eternity every minute. Think about that. I mean, this reality is it, it should it, it should it should so so traumatize us in a way that would break our hearts and that we would pray for the lost, we would pray for the church, we'd pray for a brother and sister who are struggling. These would be normal characteristics of the Christian life. We got to ask, what do you think that Hannah was praying for during those during those moments? You certainly couldn't hear her vocally. But in her heart, she was pouring out her spirit to the Lord. And I'm sure it wasn't just for herself, getting something from God, but pouring out, pouring out her spirit on behalf of others. Intercession, painful, agonizing intercession for others. And I was kind of guilty of that, you know. That's something that I, that, that I, I need to be personally reminded of, you know, is to intercede for others. Intercede on the behalf of others and, and not just think about myself. Why am I going to pray? Because I got a list of things that I want opposed to how can I pray for my brothers and my sisters in other countries? The things that are going on around the world to actually believe God enough to know that he can change people. He can transform people. I mean, look at the condition that was supposed to be the people of God in her day, the gross and blasphemous sin that was being displayed before all could see. You can imagine that was probably one thing that was on her heart because people who, who know God and are true converts and truly filled with the Spirit of God are going to pray the right way. 
They're going to have the right convictions. They're not just going to look the other way when they see the house of God being trampled and, bla and God's name being blasphemed. They're not just going to look the other way because it's going to touch their very heart. It's going to bother them. Remember one time my wife and I, we were, in a, we were going in the grocery store and there was a, the magazine aisle. You know, it's always low enough for the children to see. And there was, there was just some horrid, you know, mild, but it was pornographic picture on the front of these magazines. And, and my wife's like, I've had enough of this. I'm tired of it, you know, because we, we have seven children. You know, we have little kids. And, and she went to the manager and she said, listen, you know, this isn't right having these magazines out here for these little ones to see these pictures, you know. And what had happened now, just one, one innocent little move of conviction uh, ended up changing that whole chain of stores. They now had put, they didn't remove the magazine, but they put cardboard over it. I mean, it was just a small act of, of faith on her part, but she was convicted. Instead, she could have just ignored it and went on her merry way with her groceries. Or she could have just handed a gospel track to the cashier and called it good. But she saw something that wasn't right. And she saw the harm that it could bring to another generation. It's one little thing. You think, what's one magazine going to do? It, it, it does a lot. It does a lot. And, you know, the, for, for young boys to, to see those types of images can have a disturbing effect on them their whole entire lives. And this is why we need to be watchful. And we can't turn our back on things. And when we are filled with the Spirit of God, and we are truly converted, uh, we will have the heart to pray for these things and to confront these things. And, as Ephesians says, to expose them. It's a very important part of the Christian life, which brings us to the second point, submissive prayer. The beauty of Hannah is, is about her life, and I think a lot of it's missed because we do get caught up a little bit and enraptured with her suffering and uh, her ability to stay the course until God brings the promise through. But I think what's beautiful about her, too, is, is her submissiveness uh, to the high priest and the way that she speaks to being called a drunk. You know, being accused of being a drunk. And she could have retaliated in a, in, a, in a very strong way, but she doesn't. In verse 15 it says, But Hannah answered and said, No, my Lord, I'm a woman of sorrowful spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor intoxicating drink, but have poured out my soul before the Lord. You know, it said that, you know, the, the high priest was literally watching her mouth. You know, watching her do these things. And the thing that really struck me uh, when just kind of meditating over these verses is like, haven't you seen someone pray before? I mean, what have you been subjected to? What have you seen to make this so um, strange? You know, like, it's almost like you come in and you see someone praying, right? And you're like, gosh, that looks weird. You know what I mean? Why does it look weird? It looks weird because you're not praying. And it's weird because you're not around other people who do pray either. It really gives an indication, not so much how strange she may be, but the reflection is how strange you are. Amen. It's not just the fact that she's doing something that seems very obnoxious to you, but the reality is you're very obnoxious to her because you don't recognize a woman filled with the Spirit of God, praying and reaching out to God. It just seems, it just seems, it was the day though. It was the day where, where things were happening around the temple that were so ungodly and, and so wicked and so perverted that to see a godly woman praying and seeking God was, was out of the ordinary. 
It's a dichotomy. And I think Eli was offended as well because his sons were scumbags. I think because his sons were so involved in, in, in so many uh, disgusting things, I think that he just had grown um, comfortable with it. And that's one, that was one of the reasons why God had judged him. Because he didn't do anything about it. Their ways, their wicked ways, and the things that they were doing, God wasn't, I mean, Eli wasn't doing anything about it. Allowing this stuff to take place brought havoc and ultimately his death. In 1 Samuel 2.22 it says, Now Eli was very old and he heard everything his sons did to all of Israel and how they lay with the women who assembled at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. First Samuel 3.13 says, For I have told him that I will judge his house forever for the, for the iniquity which he knows, which he knows about, because his sons made themselves vile, and he did not restrain them. First Samuel 2.12 says, Now the sons of Eli were sons of Belial. They knew not the Lord. And the reason Eli spoke this way and accused Hannah was because he was unacquainted and a complete stranger to true prayer and probably the true God of Israel, if you think about it. This is why his two sons were an abomination to God. They could do all of their ritualistic chores, but their hearts were deceitful and wicked, where the Bible says that there was no fear of God in their eyes. Similar, if you think about it, to Aaron and his sons, another high priest, which says in Leviticus 10.1, Now Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, took their respective fire pans and after putting fire in them, placed incense on the fire and offered strange fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded them. And fire came out from the presence of the Lord and consumed them, and they died before the Lord. Then Moses said to Aaron, It is what the Lord spoke, saying, By those who come near me, I will be treated as holy, and before all people I will be honored. And it says, so Aaron therefore kept silent. Think about that. First Samuel chapter 2, 29 says, Why then do you scorn my sacrifices and my offerings that I commanded for my dwelling and honor your sons above me? By fattening yourselves in the choicest parts of every offering of my people Israel. There's nothing worse than blatant hypocrisy. Just going through the motions. But being a complete abomination to the Lord. I mean, the Lord takes his worship serious. It's honoring the Lord. You're drawing near to God. It's a time of worship. It's a time where God calls us to, to, to honor him by drawing near to him and being holy. And this is why even today God takes the church very seriously. He takes the pulpit very seriously. He takes the preaching of his word very seriously. It's not a small thing to God. We don't want to just become ritualistic a form or pattern or structure of godliness, but denying the power thereof. Having no power. Sectarianism, it's, it's, 
you know, it, it gets to the point where you got, you know, one side is kooky and nuts and all they want to do is flop around on the floor and, and, and see miracles. But then you got the other side that it's so formalistic that they're dead as a doornail. It's like the people of God should be alive. You know, they should be, should be moved by the Spirit of God. We should be energized by God. We should be, you know, those who are intoxicated with strong drink, but should be intoxicated with the Word of God and the things of God and totally infatuated with our Lord. Our appetites should be such that. We should be given to other appetites. But I know our sinful nature, we fall into certain sin. I get that. But the reality is, is that our default should always be God. We should be addicted to the things of God because we sure know how to be addicted to everything else, right? We need to develop this, this passion and love for the things of God. But we got to wait before we become self-righteous and think of all these vile children that came from bad parenting. We have to ask ourselves, whatever happened to the sons of the great prophet Samuel? The one in which we're reading about here who is really Hannah's promise. And we know that um, Samuel was the last of the judges, right? But they wouldn't accept his children because here's why. In 1 Samuel chapter 8, it says this, 1 through 3, When Samuel grew old, he appointed his sons as judges for Israel. The name of his firstborn was Joel, and the name of the second was Abijah. And they served at Beersheba. But his sons did not walk in his ways. They turned aside into their dishonest gain and accepted bribes and perverted justice. So God is sovereign, right? God is over all things. You could be the best parent in the world and your kids can still go wayward. Or you could be the absolute worst parent in the world and your kids could grow up believing and following Christ. God is sovereign over all things. Yes, he commands us to be diligent in raising our children up in the admonition of the Lord, but ultimately it is, it is, it is you know, their hearts are, very, are held in the very hand of our God. It is God who converts. It's God who saves. But as parents, we do everything we can. Which brings us to our last point, believing prayer. Hannah's life was obviously characterized by belief. She believed. If you don't believe, you're not going to pray, right? You know the number one reason why people don't share their faith? It's not because of training. It's not because of lack of training or experience. It's because they don't have any faith in the gospel. Uh, they don't believe that the gospel can save. So they don't share the gospel. What do they do? They change the gospel, right? They make it more palatable. They make it more fun. They, they take out the, the um, offense of the word of God, and they just want to give you everything that makes you feel good. Um, they change it, which is an abomination. It's the same way with prayer. If you don't believe God hears your prayers, you're not going to pray. You think it's a waste of time. Why do it? You're not really believing God for anything. You're really showing that you don't believe. I know we all have we all have seasons in our life where we struggle. Don't get me wrong. We all do with prayer and even times of believing prayer. But Hannah's life really carries the weight of a woman who truly believed in God. She believed God would carry her through. She's not only persistent and submissive, but Hannah truly believed. She truly believed. 
And this is why she didn't have to get all angry at the high priest for accusing her of being drunk. She could humbly reply, my Lord, in this way, till the priest told her to go and may the peace of God rest upon her. She carried that humble spirit. In the face of an unbelieving, cruel world, she continued to look to God for her strength, her peace, his promise, and his providence. She said to Eli, do not consider your maidservant a wicked woman, for out of the abundance of my complaint and grief have I spoken until now. You know, even she was speaking silently, which goes to show us very clearly that prayer can come in many forms and shapes. It doesn't always have to be loud and bombastic and everyone to hear you. It, it can be quiet. It can even be in moments where your lips don't move at all. You could pray to the Lord. The Lord hears our prayers. Whether we pray out loud, we pray quietly, we pray without moving our mouths, the Lord hears our prayers. She was moved by the Spirit of God. She even says very clearly here uh, that it was her complaint and grief that compelled her to pray. It was in her pain that was the catalyst to drive her to pray. She wasn't influenced by anything else. You know, she wasn't influenced by a desire to be famous or uh, to be seen or uh, to be a woman of prominence. She just wanted to have a child that she could dedicate to the Lord. Ephesians 5.18 says, And don't get drunk with wine, which leads to reckless living, but be filled with the Spirit. You know, she wasn't filled with wine. She wasn't living the reckless life like his sons were living. She wasn't one, she wasn't a temple prostitute. You know, she wasn't coming up there, you know, half out of her mind looking to do detestable acts. She was there for the Lord, and that's the original reason. If if, if you were truly the high priest, you should have recognized that. Then Eli answered and said, Go in peace, and the God of Israel will grant you your petition which you have asked of him. Charles Spurgeon once said, the Lord has blessed his people and he would have them know it. He has blessed them with all spiritual blessings and heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And it is his wish that they should experience the fullness of this blessedness. Are any of the Lord's people without a sense of his blessing? It is not the will of God that you should continue in this low condition. If you are cast down, he has said to his prophet, prophets, comfort ye, comfort ye my people. Speak ye comfortably to Jerusalem. Have you sinned and wandered into darkness? The Lord bids you to return and encourages you to pray. Turn us again, O God, and cause thy face to shine and we shall be saved. The happy God would have you happy in the enjoyment of this blessing. From which I gather, he goes on to say, that we can get no blessing from God except through the priesthood of Christ. There must be the sacrifice and the sprinkling of the blood before the music of the blessing can sound in our ears. God bestows all spiritual blessings upon us in and through the Lord Jesus, who died for us and is ordained to be the one mediator between God and man. This is our great high priest, and he hears our prayers, and he answers. In 1 Samuel 1.18, she said, Let your maidservant find favor in your sight. So the woman went her way and ate, and her face was no longer sad. It was as if this whole, this whole scene had just finally lifted. 
And I know that through prayer, this is where this happens, the burden is lifted. I, you know, I hear from the old timers, I read a lot of books from history and a lot of the preachers from the past and evangelists, and they talk about how this burden finally lifted, you know, and, and, and they would pray for souls in other countries and they would weep and, and beg God to save them. And they wouldn't leave the prayer room until this burden had lifted. And it seems here that um, Hannah's burden, you know, finally lifted and she now had a countenance of satisfaction. She was no longer sad. Jesus said in Matthew 21, 22, and whatever things you ask in prayer, believing you will receive. The promise comes to pass. As Psalms 37 says, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord, trust in him, and he will most certainly do it. In verse 19, it says, Then they rose early in the morning and worshipped before the Lord and returned and came to their house at Ramah. And Elkanah knew Hannah, his wife, and the Lord remembered her. So it came to pass in the process of time that Hannah conceived and bore a son and called his name Samuel, saying, Because I have asked for him from the Lord. Now the man Elkanah and all his house went up to offer to the Lord the yearly sacrifice and his vow. But Hannah did not go, and she said to her husband, not until the child is weaned, then I will take him, that he may appear before the Lord and remain there forever. So Elkanah and her husband said to her, Do what seems best to you. Wait until you have weaned him. Own that the Lord establish his word. Then the woman stayed and nursed her son until she had weaned him. Very powerful story. I mean, very intense um, event that we read of Hannah's life. And we would do well. Um, as the people of God to remember, um, to pray, to seek the Lord. You know, in, in, in times of trial, don't turn to the world as a sedative because a lot of things out there that can temporarily medicate you through things. But turn to the Lord. Let him be your default. Be continual in prayer. prayer. Pray fervently, continually. Be a person of prayer. Leonard Ravenhill says a man is only as great as his prayer life. And it's so true. Be a person of prayer. Seek the Lord. Know the Lord. And for your own benefit, for your own benefit, what kind of lifestyle is that going to bring to you? How are you going to operate? I guarantee if you seek the Lord, you pray unceasingly, you're a person that that's continue, uh, you're, you live in continued prayer. I'm not saying every second of the day, but you're a person that prays continually. You've got a regular record of praying every day. Your life will be different. I know sometimes when you struggle with certain issues, it's hard to pray. And you think, man, I just don't feel like praying. And the issue's still there. Keep putting it off. You don't feel like opening your Bible. But then you do. And you realize the treasure house of blessings that comes upon your life. You're like, man, if I just would have done this in the first place. You go into your workplace with a different reaction. You handle things differently. Everything's just different. God has changed you through meeting with him, from meeting him face to face. Prayer does that to us. It really makes us salt and light. It makes us that bright burning torch. It really does. It makes us what, what, what would be completely different than the world. It gives us that, that tender-hearted spirit that, that loves God, loves God's people, and desire to see the world to come to know Christ. Let's pray. 
Father, we're thankful for our time together today. And Lord, thank you for bringing us uh, to this portion of Scripture where we can meditate and we can think upon the glories of Christ. Lord, we know that there's only one mediator between God and man, that's Christ Jesus. And there's no way to, to the Father except through Christ alone. And Lord, we're thankful that you are our high priest, making intercession for your people, not for the world, but for us, the body of Christ. Lord, we ask today that you would be with us, Lord. Not just be with us in a general sense, but grow us, Lord. Cause us to drink deeply from the wells of Christ today. Help us to love you more, Lord. If we love you more, we'll love others more. Help us to be true, Lord, to who we say that we are. Lord, our nation is going down the tubes, very similar to Hannah's time in Israel. Lord, let us be those ones who are continual in prayer and seeking your face and trusting in you, Lord, to bring about your word in great times of darkness. Help us to stay the course and stay consistent. In Jesus' name, amen.